Do what God says the first time. Jonah didn't have to go through all of this. I mean, my man almost drowned, got thrown overboard, or hurled a storm, hurled out in the belly. He didn't have to go through all that. Don't assign yourself to misery because you won't do what God tells you to do the first time. This is Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Lorenz. We are in a study of the Old Testament prophet Jonah. But before we go any farther, a quick nod to you dads. Happy Father's Day. Hope you feel appreciated and loved on this, your special day. Well, despite what you recall about the story of Jonah, what's important to realize is that God will sometimes ask us to do something we don't want to do. And if we choose not to, He will accomplish His intentions either through our obedience or our disobedience. And as we're seeing in the life of Jonah, it's far better to land on the obedience side. Jonah chose to disobey God's request to preach an eight-word warning to the wicked people of Nineveh. Jonah didn't feel these people deserved God's warning, and he wanted them destroyed now. But God didn't see it that way, and as a result, Jonah and others paid a severe price for his disobedience. He faced certain death in the belly of a great fish, but he wisely repented, and his life was spared. Jonah was given another opportunity to obey God by speaking the warning to the Ninevites. He did. The result? They confessed their sin and repented, which spared them from God's destructive wrath. Now, if this is your first visit with us, this is all part of Crawford's series, God's Severe Mercy. And at the end of today's program, I'll tell you how to hear the preceding messages in this series. Last week, we saw the result of Jonah's warning to the people of Nineveh. And let's pick it up with the second half of Crawford's message, Recommissioned and Repentance. Our text is Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Here's Crawford Loretz on Living a Legacy. Jonah yielded to what God said. I would, have, I would not have chosen to give that kind of message. I would have said, well, let's talk about some issues that are common ground and bring them over here. No, no, he gives this eight-word message, and it's a message of destruction. What happens? Well, what happens is repentance, beginning at verse 5. In fact, verses 5 through 10, the central message of this passage is repentance. Repentance. You see, by the way, the Bible teaches in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25, where that repentance is always a work of God. We can't make people repent. We can call them to it, but we can't make people repent. Only the Spirit of God can give the gift of repentance in the heart and life of a person. And what God was saying to Jonah says, look, I just need a body. I just need a body to do what I tell them to do. I, you, you listen, listen, I, you, you don't have to think about this. You don't have to spend 15, 20 hours uh, preparing a message. Uh, I got eight words for you. If you can remember these eight words, you say this and watch what I will do. First, the people repent in verse 5. Again, the message is, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Verse 5 says, and the people of Nineveh, listen, listen, believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Notice how emphatic this is. He said, no, 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 not, not some people, not some people, not powerful people, not a group of people, but the greatest of the people to the least of them. All stratas of society responded to that message of judgment. I mean, it's remarkable to me. Yet 40 days and Nineveh is going to be destroyed. 
And it said the people believed God. Why did they believe God? Because God had prepared their hearts to hear this message from his heart. They believed him. But don't miss this. Not, not only did they believe God, the text says that they put on sackcloth. They fasted and put on sackcloth. Um, as Jonah preached the message of God's judgment, the people ironically changed. These vile, vicious Assyrians changed. Now again, getting back to the fasting in sackcloth, that, 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 that's used as an outward sign of humiliation and contrition. It's not just that they believed. Don't miss this. It's not just that they believed. What, what happened was that their hearts were broken. Their hearts were broken. Why did they put on sackcloth and ashes? It wasn't just about fear of judgment, although there's probably some of that in there. It wasn't just that, but it was that the, the admission that we were, we've been wrong. We're wrong. Our thinking has been wrong. Our actions have been wrong. Our conclusions have been wrong. Our way of life has been wrong. We have sinned. And we're sorry for it. We're sorry for it. Hear me on this. I'm going to say something that's very unpopular, but it's, it's important for us to get this. These people experience both, hear this, guilt and shame. That's what remorse is. Remorse is not just a feeling of guilt, but shameful sorrow that I damaged and hurt another. That's what remorse is. They say, I, I, I damaged and hurt the heart of God. It's not just that I'm guilty, meaning that I'm wrong and I've been caught. I am so sorry. Part of the problems in, the, in these United States is that we've lost the sense of shame. We have talked ourselves right out of feeling bad about our culpability and our sin. And these people in Nineveh, these unbelievers, these vile, vicious folks, they felt their guilt and their shame. We did it. Stop excusing your sin and stop letting people talk you out of feeling bad about what you've done wrong. For it is in the full acknowledgement of what we've done wrong. It is in the full acknowledgement of embracing that and the realization that we have hurt God and hurt others and we have violated the trust of other people. We've done it. We've done it. And when you embrace that, not just intellectually that I've done it, not just shaking your head saying that I'm wrong, when you feel the weight of that pain and you feel the weight of your culpability and you feel the weight of that shame that I was created to do better, I was created to be more. It's when you feel that, that God rushes in and you experience his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness and his ability to turn us around. So here you have the people. 
Well, some strange things are happening in the land. Uh, the people have responded, and then this rumbling takes place throughout Nineveh. I mean, inside that, the, the, the tall inner wall there where, where the business is going on, and then out there in the, uh, uh, in the field surrounded by that outer wall, uh, the, 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 the noise and clamor of what is happening, and there's this revival and renewal and awakening that's taking place in this pagan empire, and probably crime rates going down or whatever, and the news gets back to the king. Verse 6 says, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. I think the word that reached to him was not just a report of what was taking place in terms of the transformation of the lives of people in his kingdom, but I think it was Jonah's message also got back to him. Those eight words, those eight words, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the same thing happened to him, the king. The same thing happened to him. What did he do? The text says he arose from his throne. He got off his throne, removed his robe, and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. Don't, 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 don't read past that too quickly. Don't, don't read past that too fast. For in this, you need to see how this king humbled himself and identified with the sinfulness of the people. The robe represents his position, his prestige, and his power. What does he do? He gets off his throne and he takes off that robe. It's as if he's saying, look, this is, I'm perpetrating a fraud right here, man. This stuff makes me look invincible. This stuff makes me look powerful. This stuff projects that I'm better than anybody else. And the reason why he gets off his throne and he takes that robe off is because he realized that he was no better than the people that he was leading. In fact, if anything, as the leader, he had led them down this path of debauchery and evil. And he realized that leadership is not about position. It's about morality. It's about integrity. It's about character. It's about being the portrait of the desired destination. And he felt, too, that he had sinned. There is a powerful message here, and that is that leaders must model what the people need to do and become. And God blesses them whether they, they are believers or unbelievers, but this is what needs to take place. Leaders do not distance themselves from the sins of the people, but they identify with them. They don't brag about how better they are. It's not they have sinned, it's we have sinned. Then he calls for a national response. Verses 7 and 8 says, And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. <laughs> I mean, this, this dude is serious. The king called for a national fast, and he called for the nation to embrace their humiliation. 
In other words, he says, this is not time to brag about how powerful we are. This is not time to boast about what we've accomplished. The mirror of God's judgment has been lifted up in front of us. How dare we boast about who we are? Our sins are in front of us. And unless we repent in 40 days, we're gone. We're history. He even, he even draped the animals in sackcloth. The animals couldn't eat. I mean, this is a little humorous to me. I'm wondering if I'm a cow. I'm going, yo, dude, what in the world's happened? I got this thing that's itching me on top of me, and they put this thing over my mouth so I can't eat. What he's saying is we're putting the brakes on to seek God. Wow. I wonder, I wonder if that's not the answer to what's going on in our country right now, at least part of it. I wonder. I wonder if God's saying, uh, y'all need to put the brakes on. Stop your pontificating and seek me. Seek me. Every once in a while, every once in a while, God allows us to see that we ain't as good as we think we are. Every once in a while, God allows us to feel the fact that apart from him, we are doomed. And this king felt that way. Mighty Nineveh, mighty Nineveh. So, what happens? There's national repentance, verses 8 and 9. The middle of verse 8 says, the king says, let everyone, notice the line, turn from his evil way, from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Now notice the turning here, the, the turning sets up reconciliation. Reconciliation is a resolution of the problem. He says, no, 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 no. I, I don't want you just to feel sorry. Feeling sorry about your sin is important. Remorse is very important. But a remorse that does not issue in repentance is just self-destruction. He says, yeah, you need to acknowledge your sin. You need, to, you need to see that what you've done is wrong. Stop calling it other stuff. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's sin. You need to turn from it. And perhaps if we turn from our sin, God will turn toward us. Have you, have you really repented of the sin in your life? Again, I'm connecting the hoses with what's going on today right now. I mean, racism is right in front of us. You can't help but talk about it. It's all around us. But as followers of Jesus Christ, I have said this on the Facebook Live thing I did the other week, and as followers of Jesus Christ, we have got to understand it is not good enough not to be racist. That's not good enough. We have got to be anti-racism because racism is nothing more than a sin of partiality with pigmentation. 
and it's sin. And so we repent and turn from the sin. Much like this nation did. Now, that ain't the only sin in our country. There's a whole lot of stuff we got going on that is deep-seated. The murdering of millions and millions of babies. The raping people of their dignity. The breaking of our marriage vows. And the list is on and on and on and on and on. And don't think that we're going to escape judgment. If you know anything about history at all, if you know anything about biblical history at all, God is long-suffering. He's kind. He's gentle, merciful, tender. But history records that there are times in the economy of God where God says enough is enough. And he puts the brakes on. And so it happens here. They pay the price. And what does God do? Man, I just love it. Verse 9 says, who knows, the expression who knows there that the king shares really is a statement of hope, but it's also a cry for mercy. It's a statement of hope and a cry for mercy. Who knows? Who knows? I don't know what God's going to do, but he has, he has a heart, and I'm turning toward him. Perhaps he will deliver us. You know, this is amazing, again, because the Assyrians were cruel and vital, violent people who feared no one. And here you have this king thrusting aside his robe off of his throne, declaring this national fast, all because he heard and received those eight words. God Almighty, unbelievable. And then you have the point, verse 10, God's severe mercy. This is where I got the title of the, of, of the series, God's Severe Mercy, right here, verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. He visited them. What a mighty God. I wish the book ended here. I wish it did, because this is the celebration, right? This is the fulfillment of what God can do. Uh, I'll tease it a little bit. Next week, you're going to see that it ends well for them, but it still doesn't end well for Jonah. Let me leave you with these four things to keep in mind, four lessons from this passage, from what we've just walked through. Number one is this. Remember, we have no idea of the impact of our obedience. Jonah didn't have, I mean, it wasn't complicated what God asked him to do. Wasn't complicated. I just gave him an eight-word message and says, go tell everybody. But I want to encourage you. you. You have no idea. I have no idea of the impact of our obedience. It's more important to be obedient than to figure out strategies of success. We have no idea what God will do through our obedience. Number two, do what God says the first time. Do what he says the first time. 
Jonah didn't have to go through all of this. It's interesting. I mean, my man almost drowned, got thrown overboard, or hurled a storm, hurled in the belly. He didn't have to go through all that. Don't assign yourself to misery because you won't do what God tells you to do the first time. The third thing I would say from this is there comes a time where you have to speak direct hard truth. Don't shy away from it. I don't like doing that. None of us do. But the reality is what God says is not always what we want to hear. But what God says, whatever it is, is what we desperately need to hear. So don't shy away from giving direct hard truth. And then, of course, I can't help but say this. Pray for remorse and brokenness across our country. There's still too much pride in posturing. And by the way, there's too much pride in posturing in some of our churches. There comes a point in time is that what we need is not a, more words. What we need is not more explanation. What we need is not, not a bunch of long Facebook posts with a lot of opinions. There comes a point in time, what we need is to be quiet. To say, it's not my brother nor my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord. To embrace what God is saying to us. There's grace available for all of us. There's forgiveness available for all of us, just like the Ninevites. Jesus Christ has come, and he's paid the price for our sin by dying on the cross in our place and for our sin. And all we have to do is say, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin, and I trust you as my Savior and Lord, and he will deliver us. And fellow believer, there's not one sin that you or myself, there's not one sin that we've ever committed that God cannot cleanse us of. All we have to do is confess it to him and turn from it and receive his mercy, whatever that might be. Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you are with us. Lord Jesus, we need you this hour. May we glean from this passage the very power of God to speak to and change even structures and nations and powerful people and events. You are able. God, fill us with hope. Fill us with a heart to obey you and to do what's right no matter what and to speak up for you no matter what. Give us holy boldness and at the same time tender and grateful hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Crawford Loritz, our speaker here on Living a Legacy, wrapping up his two-part message, Recommissioned and Repentance. The story of Jonah is a great illustration about why it's so important to do what God asks of us. Now, here are those four closing points once again. Number one, we have no idea of the impact of our obedience. Number two, do what God says the first time. Number three, don't shy away from speaking hard truth. And number four, pray for remorse and brokenness across our country. The study of the life of Jonah is part of Crawford's series, God's Severe Mercy, and we have two more weeks in the series. And if you've just joined us, you can get caught up by listening to all prior messages, which are streamed on our website. Look for the past programs link at livingalegacy.org. If you find Crawford's teaching to be helpful, then consider downloading several messages to your audio player and listen at your convenience. The downloads are free, livingalegacy.org. 
I'm Bill Davis. Thank you so much for listening. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.